Let's all bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, indeed we pause this afternoon now to give thee thanks and praise for your many blessings which you have blessed us with. We indeed are not deserving of them. Help us not to take them for granted. And we ask, as you have blessed us with the word this morning, that you would bless us once more as we look into your living word, which lives and abides forever. Grant words unto your servant, vessel of clay, and may your name be glorified through it. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's text, I'd like, with the Lord's help, to open to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews, chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the express image of his glory, who the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty and high, being made so much better than the angels, as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which of any of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they, they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Therefore we ought to give thee more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. I've read into the second chapter, the first verse as well. <clears throat> like many letters and epistles, 
that have been written by God's disciples and apostles, it is sometimes hard to know exactly to whom this was being addressed and why it was being addressed. I don't think it would be amiss though that we would say it is likely being addressed to this group and for this reason, just from the context of what we see, what we have read. And then if you read the, the, uh, the rest of the book of Hebrews, uh, you probably confirm your um, and my perhaps speculation as to who this is addressed to and, and why. Well, we believe it's addressed first and foremost to the people of God. Um, there are many clear uh, verses that, that, that sort of confirm this, especially if you read uh, chapters 3 and 4, where it talks about, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So he's addressing... He's not just addressing the Jews. Uh, some would say, well, the Jews were known as brethren because they were uh, kinsmen in the flesh, for example, to the Apostle Paul. But it says holy brethren. And the Jewish nation themselves, while they were a chosen people, they had fallen from where God wanted them to be. And especially in rejecting the Messiah. Um, and secondly, it says here, consider the apostle uh, and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And certainly to the remainder of the Jews, he was not the apostle and the high priest because they had rejected him. So we can corner this and say, uh, the apostle, whoever it was, um, I don't know what you have in your Bible, but it says the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Hebrews. It is not conclusive. Uh, it says authorship uncertain, commonly attributed to Paul. There are things here that you may clues that would, would, would lead to that. Um, this uh, last Wednesday we discussed Timothy, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and um, he was like a disciple to the Apostle Paul. Uh, in the end, Paul or the, the writer of Hebrews says that Timothy, our brother, has been set at liberty. You think there's a connection there too because he had such a uh, closeness with the Apostle Paul. Could have been anyone. Could have been because uh, this was written in such a way by someone who really knew the law and could explain it like a lawyer. And it was certainly Paul that was um, a lawyer and knew the law. Still not certain. The main point is we believe what is written here is from God and was written by one of God's uh, disciples in that era. And what he's, uh, I believe what the, the context or the substance of the book of Hebrews, he's speaking about um, how Christ was a fulfillment of all the scriptures that preceded the Gospels. 
he talked about how God in, in, in many other ways and different times talked and spoke about uh, to his people through, through prophets. He spoke to the fathers through the prophets. He says, and this is just a continuation of God's message to the people, but now he's speaking to us not just through his prophets of the past, but in the very, uh, with the very voice of his Son, Jesus Christ. Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So God is speaking to believers, Jewish believers, through his Son. And it is believed by the context of what we see going through the Hebrew book of Hebrews that he's speaking to believers that were beginning to feel that maybe they made the wrong decision in following Jesus because the persecution was so great. And some may have been thinking of turning back. Why is the persecution so great? If we are indeed now the elect of God, if Christ is the Messiah, I thought that it wouldn't be so hard on us. And Jesus is now pictured throughout these few chapters of Hebrews in a progressive way that this Christ is better than angels. He is of a higher stature than angels. Jesus was not an angel. In the second chapter it says that he didn't take upon himself the nature of angels, but he took upon himself the seed of Abraham. He took upon himself flesh and blood. I believe last week we, you, were, uh, you had a, a message about Philippians 2, how Christ came um, and humbled himself even to the death of the cross. And he didn't take upon himself the form uh, of, 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 of angels, but he, as a man came, he condescended to sinful flesh and emptied himself. God emptying himself, becoming man. And uh, so he, he wasn't an angel. Angels are created. There's a big difference. God made angels. But it says that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son. And I don't understand that. I don't understand that, what he means by that. That he was begotten. Was it just that he was begotten as a child in the manger? Or was he speaking about something within the Trinity? Something how they came together as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's easy for me to understand that he was begotten as a young babe in the manger. But the, the, the Trinity is a mystery. It's a tri-unity. That's why they call it a Trinity. It's a three-in-one God. He's three persons in one person. You know, we have a, on the way out to the ghost station, every day now there's a Jehovah Witnesses standing with their racks of books and they says the truth of God. Now, I wish I could stay there and debate them, but, but I could probably stay there for two hours and, I, and I'm not sure whether God wants me to do that or now, but... But what they are preaching, what they are spreading, is not the truth. 
Because they don't believe this very fact that Jesus Christ was God. That Jesus was God in the flesh. He wasn't just another angel. He wasn't the brother of Michael. But he was God in the flesh. It says here, uh, who being the exp- the, in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The express image of God. And upholding things by the word of his power, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat at the right hand of the majesty and high, being much made so much better than angels, as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So, clues that Christ was God, verse 2 says, He hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heirs by all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Simple language. God made the worlds, the universe, by his Son. Now, how do you take that and compare it with Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Or the heaven, is it heavens or heaven? And the earth. In the Hebrew, the word used there is Elohim. The plural form for God. As if to say, the gods made the heaven and the earth. There is a singular form of God, Elohim. But Elohim is plural. And when it says here that God made the world by Him, by Christ, He must have been together with Him in the beginning. And therefore, Christ is God. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by Him, was it in the epistle or in the actual... Uh, gospel was everything made, I think in the epistle, and nothing was without him not made. So, um, the first uh, gospel of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, it is here. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, how plain can you be that God, Christ was with God in the beginning and he created the world? Without beginning, without ending. <coughs> Eternal. And later on you will see um, in Hebrews chapter 7 he talks about Melchizedek. Melchizedek was that priest that, that Abraham met on return from the battle of the kings, the five against the four. And he gave tithes to Melchizedek. And he says that, that this Christ, this Messiah, is the after the order of Melchizedek. And what was peculiar about Melchizedek? He said he was without father, without mother, like he had no beginning and had no ending. And he was eternal. Not like the priests of Aaron and Levi, the, from the tribe of Levi, but he's 
priesthood was a perpetual priesthood. So we see that Christ was not only prophesied to be the king, he was not only prophesied to be that prophet, but he was also prophesied to be a priest. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is pictured as prophet, priest, and king. And he became that priest that would now not only um, be the intercessor, and I, and I saw that verse in chapter 7, that he interceded not only for the, for the, for the unconverted, because he acted like a priest for the unbeliever, but after he had finished everything, we read here, he sat down at the right hand of God and continues to be a high priest for his followers, for those that believe in him. So he, he compares um, Jesus with angels. And then later on he compares Jesus with Moses. And then later on he compares Jesus with Joshua. And he says Jesus was better than angels. Jesus was better than Moses. Jesus was better than Joshua. Jesus was better than all of your the prophets and, and, and men of God that came before because he was the son of God. He was the son of God. And not only did he qualify by being the son of God, but because he was sinless. He was sinless. He could qualify to be the intercessor and that lamb that was slain upon the altar. And not only that, but that he just didn't die on the cross in a cold fashion, in a distant or detached way. But it says here in chapter 4, it says, um, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So you can see how Christ, what he had to go through, who he was, in order for us to, to receive that eternal redemption. And so he's asking, he's very much in Pauline fashion. You know, when Paul wants to, de to, 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 to demonstrate something, he asks questions. And he says, does this make sense? You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, you know, for if you say that Christ didn't rise, then we're, all, we're, still, the, we're still dead in our sins. For if the dead not rise not, for, for, for uh, not just Christ didn't rise, but if, if the dead don't rise, then Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise, then we're all in our sin. You see how it goes, logical, progressive, lawyer-like uh, arguments. Here he says, For unto which of the angels said at any time, Thou art my son. So he makes a distinction between angels and this son of God. Because the JWs say, well, he's a son of God like we are sons of God. We become adopted. Christ was a son of God. No, he said, no, it's different. He says, which of the, unto which of the angels did he say at any time, Thou art my son. 
He said, none of them. So he's different than the angels. He's not the brother of Michael. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. And again, when he had begotten, the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. What, is, what do you become if you worship anything than God? What is it? What does the Bible call that? Idolatry. If you worship anything than God, you become an idolater. So if they worship Christ, the only way they can worship Christ lawfully if Christ was in fact God. And then of the angels, he just calls them ministering or serving spirits. That's what they are. Angels are spirits and they minister. They come to and fro, they do God's bidding. But unto the Son he saith, this is a clincher, so you can't say, well, he is just another son of God, like we are sons and daughters of God. But unto the Son he saith, thy throne, this is God addressing Jesus. He says, thy throne, O Jesus, thy throne, O God, is forever. Your throne, O God, is forever. And the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. It's Christ's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Because they are one. This, is, this verse really captured my um, attention when I read through it. Thou hast loved righteousness. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. You've loved righteousness and you've hated iniquity. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The saying is true. God loves the sinner but God hates the sin. Christ loved the world, but he hated iniquity. And so the only way for God, God's justice to be satisfied was if a sinless Lamb of God could once for all be sacrificed. And that is the theme in the later chapters. That he didn't come like the high priests of the Old Testament days and year after year, week after week, day after day, they would offer sacrifices to blood of bullocks and goats and turtle doves and you name it. He says, but God, for this one time, if I can just read that. In chapter 7, after describing the priesthood of Melchizedek, he says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, verse 26, undefiled, separate from sinners. Separate from sinners. He's different. He's being holy means separated. Separated from sin. Separated unto God. Christ was separated from sin and he was separated unto God and made higher than the heavens. I think that's in Philippians 2 as well, right? Every knee shall bow. And he did all these things and he was abased, but he shall be lifted up and exalted, this Christ, this Son of God, who needeth not daily as those high priests to
to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins. He makes the writer of Hebrews makes sure that he says this, this the priest was sent for himself. And he had to offer the sacrifice for his own sins. And then this he did once when he offered it up himself. Uh, sorry, for his own sins and then for the people's sins. But for this he did once, as Jesus did once, when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have an infirmity. The Lord Moses raised high priests, the sons of Aaron, and they had infirmities. And did they ever have infirmities? Not only physical infirmities, but some of them were very disrespectful and offered to God strange fire and they were consumed and destroyed. But here it says, But the word of the oath, which was since the law, what was that? What was the word of the oath since the law? We just have to turn to that messianic uh, psalm which the Jews dread and they don't like to face and many have been converted from my understanding when they read it because they can't deny it. In Psalm 110 it says I can read all uh, from the beginning and this is this is the same verse that Jesus confronted the Sadducees with in Matthew 22 when they were questioning him about the resurrection and so forth. Then he came back to them with this. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And Jesus said, Who was he speaking of? Who was David our father speaking of when he said this? And they couldn't answer him. And then Jesus didn't answer their question to, I believe it was about John the Baptist. So here he says, the Lord said, and when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that Lord is Yahweh, if I can pronounce it right. I'm not sure if it's correct or not. But that was the covenant name of God. The Lord said unto my Lord, small letters, Adon, Adonai. I think it means something like mighty or Lord by itself. Sit thou at my right hand, God telling Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool, or thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of strength out of Zion, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning thou hast to do of thyself. He's saying here that God's people will voluntarily, from their hearts, serve you. Not out of compulsion, not out of dread, not out of fear, but out of because they love you, they will serve you with, with a willful uh, uh, attitude. The Lord has sworn, and here there's a verse, since the law was made, this was where God swore, and God can swear, but He tells us not to. That is, make an oath. God swore, has sworn, and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this is what is being said in verse 28 of chapter 7. For the law which maketh men high priests which have an infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. See how perfect the word of God is? See how it is fulfilled And yet people still try to poke holes through it because it's not what they've been taught. 
by their misguided leaders. And so in the first chapter of Hebrews, he's plainly establishing God, Christ, man. He says, And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his uh, angels, angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old and doth the garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. He's quoting Psalm 110 again. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? They're just there in a service to us. But they will not be redeemed. Angels that have fallen. There were angels that the book of Revelation says that Satan took a third of the angels with him. The, the fallen angels will not be redeemed. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, Matthew 25 says, The hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. They will not be redeemed. But mankind can be redeemed. And he gives a stern warning in the next chapter. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. They had them in their hands. They were in possession of salvation. And some were beginning to doubt. Some were beginning to turn. Be careful, he said. Don't let this slip. Don't be deceived. In the rest of Hebrews, you can read for yourself. I challenge you to read through the book of Hebrews uh, the remainder of this week. And you'll see how God dealt with the nation of Israel in Egypt and how it compares that with our walk here on this earth. And he warned them in chapter 12. He says, you know, you haven't yet resisted unto blood. You haven't yet struggled in defense of the gospel yet unto blood. In other words, maybe there was going to be more persecution, but he wanted to, 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 to arm them with this thinking. And that's why he gave them chapter 11, saying all the people of God that were faithful, they lived by faith in belief that there is one invisible. We heard, him, heard about that this morning. One that was invisible, that they couldn't see with their eyes. But they look forward to that land, to that country who's, who's, and building whose maker and builder was God. These things were far off and they're far off perhaps to many of us today. But I'll close with that thought and Hebrews 3 or 4 says, Today, when you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.
as in the day of provocation. May the Lord in his goodness bless this word to us all. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Two forty six verses one and four. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us who you are and what you did for us, who you were up in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, before you left it to come here and to be to have a flesh similar to ours and with similar desires, but you were so close to your Father that you could live without sin. And you came to teach, you came to suffer, and 
by suffering, you learned obedience and you proved that obedience is possible and that there is your power that is stronger than all other powers in this world. Thank you for showing us that your power is the same today and even though we, we might feel that we are weak and maybe we, we, we might feel and think that we cannot overcome sin but that power is the same today as it was as it always has been and we too have the power who are redeemed by your grace to live a life that reflects your majesty and your your justice thank you for this opportunity thank you for the connection that we have with you that we don't have to wait to a certain time to approach you or we don't have to go somewhere far away. You are always open to our requests and our prayers. You hear us. We just have to lift our hearts and in spirit to approach you and ask everything that we need. Or sometimes we don't even know what to ask. But your Holy Spirit intercedes and says prayers that we can't even say and it intercedes for us according to the Spirit. Thank you for this big blessing. Without you we are nothing but with your help we are more than conquerors and, and we have the, the faith that one day we can stand at your right hand too. Not because we deserve it, but because you love us and that's your will, that, that we can be with you there forever in joy and, and, and being perfect. Thank you, Lord. Help us to use the rest of our lives in a way that prepares us and help us to prepare. We don't know how long our lives will be, but we know what we have to do to seek you every day, to see what is our purpose, what is, what is our task today. We pray for our friends who are here, who come to church regularly, or those who don't come regularly. We pay, pray all, for all of them. Give them faith, strengthen their faith, and help them to seek you with their whole heart and reveal yourself to them. 
We pray for the children who come to this church. Give them seeds of faith that they hear here. Um, and help them when they grow up to act on those, that those seeds would grow and bear fruit that glorifies you. We pray for the sick and the, the elderly and the weak, for all the, our brothers and sisters who couldn't come today. Bless them at their places and give them the joy and the peace that can only come from you. We trust ourselves into your loving care and ask you to be with us for the rest of this day and for the rest of our whole lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We have heard much today and speaking the word is usually easier than doing the word. As the hymn writer says, blessed are thy he that, and, and Christ himself said, I believe that said, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So let's do that. Let's pray God that we will leave these doors and the words that we've heard today we would ask him to help us fulfill it and God can move mountains when we just obey him to him be the glory evermore Amen this concludes our service